this morning, which is continuing in this series that the Holy Spirit placed on Pastor Keith's heart a few weeks ago, concerning what is happening in the world that we are maybe more than ever before experiencing changes and shifts in the way we do life, in the way that life comes against us, in the things that we know about, in how we share, in the involvement of our lives with others and their lives with us. I'm 74 years old. Let me tell you something. In the late 40s and 50s, life was drastically different than it is today. Jerry, do you remember that far back? You can say yes if you do, yeah. There are a lot of folks my age in here. And we can testify to you that this is a radically different world in this context. I mean radically different. Can you imagine living life without a cell phone? Think about it. Now, I'm going to tell my wife. When we go places, and this doesn't happen all the time, but occasionally it happens. And we get to somewhere, and all of a sudden, Jean remembers, <gasps> I don't have my cell phone with me. Now, is that true? Yes, it is. Or even more horrifying to her is this. Do you have your cell phone? I say, no, I purposefully left it at home. <gasps> what? <laughs> I, I do. I purposefully leave this thing at home. Occasionally. When we were young, you wanted to contact someone. You either wrote a letter. You went over to wherever it was. And no, none of us had cars. So you took a bike or you walked or took the streetcar. Seven cents in those days. Oh, my God. Or we picked up the phone. We picked up the phone. No dialing on it. Operator would come on. Number, please. Or when you picked up the phone, other people were talking because we had a party line. There were other, four other folks in our area that were using the same line, right? And we had to ask them, could you hang up a second? I need to call. How many of you remember that? A few of Wow, look at that. You see, there has been a... A major shift in the way life is being lived today. Now, for those of you who are young, like these two lovely young ladies on the front row with their mama, and even the mama here, this is a remnant of the Collins clan right here. They don't get the shift. And even with you, Sophie, You've even seen some changes. Carly, you've seen some changes, right? Things are changing. And there has been a shift in the way we relate to one another in the church. I want you to think about this. Do we relate the same way as we used to? 
there's been a shift in the way we gather as the body of Christ. I mean, years ago, when the church door was open, we all were there. Not because we had to go, but because we wanted to go. And because we were not being lured by other things or there were not these competitive things in our life that we thought were as important or maybe even more important than assembling before the very presence of God and receiving from the hand of our God. There's been a shift in the way many respond to the gospel. It's been a shift in the way we are impacted by our culture and technology. I mean, think about it, as I just said, for the cell phone. Or what happened, what would happen if, I don't know a lot about Twitter and Twixing and all that, but I know something about Facebook because Gene enjoys Facebook. What would happen if all of a sudden Facebook went offline or whatever you call it for a month? No, think about it. Well, yes, yeah, can. But seriously, how would it impact our relationships? Now, are we saying that Facebook and tw- what is it called? Twix? Tweeters and Twix, whatever they are. I don't know what they are, but okay, fine, I don't know. But if. if We're not saying these are in themselves wrong, but what is happening is these are being used by someone to our possible and potential detriment. I love the internet, the ability to go online and find out things that we could never have found out that I need to know about or study or read And yet there is a horrible potential danger from the same computer. Are you you following me? What's going on? You see, what is going on is that we are experiencing, now listen to my word, an increase. An increase in the effects of enchantment. An increase in the effects of enchantment. And the, this increase is both antithetical and corrosive to the purpose of God in the church if we are not both aware of it and if we submit to it. I didn't condemn technology. Didn't condemn cell phones. Didn't do that. But we have to be aware of what's going on that is causing so many in the church to be altering their lives in relation to what the culture says. And what the culture says is important. And seeking after the trends of the day which may be counterproductive to what God wants in our lives. We have to be aware of this. So this morning, hopefully, the Holy Spirit will cause us to be more aware than we were before. Father, Father, Jesus has come 
to do one great work to reunite us with you. And Father, we do not want to be your children whose eyes are clouded, whose voices are weak, whose hearing is clogged. Father, we want to be your children in whom your presence and through whom your presence is clearly, compellingly, consistently declared to the world. For you are worthy of this. Teach us this morning, touch us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Pastor Keith has been accentuating the, the word enchantment. Enchantment. Now, you have notebooks and notes there, whatever. And so feel free to write things down that may be important that you need to remember. The word enchantment comes from the word, Latin word, incantare, which means to cast a spell. To beguile, to capture, to bewitch, to cause something over here to look more desirable and more pleasing and prettier than that which is here. Enchantment. You see, to be enchanted. Enchanted is to be beguiled or to be deceived, to be brought under the control of something else or the influence or the power of something else in order to serve another purpose for which we have been created. There is a sinister and dastardly purpose in being enchantment, enchanted. And so the danger of enchantment is in its deceptive nature that causes us to believe, I'm not being deceived. The nature of deception is, I'm not being deceived. I don't even believe in this. And so often, when truth is shared, whether in this pulpit, the school of the word, through the word itself, in whatever category God seeks to and shares his word, his truth. We look at these things so often and say, you know, I don't believe that we have to do that. I don't agree with that. And there's a deception. Because genuinely, you do believe that you don't have to, or that you don't believe it, or whatever, it doesn't apply. You genuinely believe that. That's the nature of being deceived. Rather than saying, Father, I've just heard something. I don't see it. I don't believe it. I don't agree with it. Would you show me? But typically that's not done. We just continue to decide and to move along based on what we feel in ourselves. Now, hopefully this morning as we are listening 
We're allowing the Holy Spirit to communicate with me, with you, about your life. Not saying, well, there he goes again. He's knocking this and he's knocking that. I'm not knocking anything. Hopefully we are sharing what the Holy Spirit wants us to be aware of this morning. In your Bible, turn to 1 John 5, 19. That's way at the end, way at the end. 1 John 5, 19. Hopefully everyone has a Bible with them. I don't like these electronic devices. Occasionally I'll use one of these, what do you call it, Bible app things. But for the real study of the word and whatever, you need a book in your hand and a pen in your hand to underline and to write comments about in your Bible. Now, look at 1 John five nineteen. This is the word of the Holy Spirit to the church. And what does John say? The entire world. Do you see where I am? Everybody in 1 John 5, 19? The whole world. Now, first of all, how much is that? How many of us in this room are not included in that statement? Any of you outside this world? So that pertains to how many of us? Every one of us who are here and who are anywhere in this world or have been or will be in this world. The entire world lies or is situated or settled in or is placed in what? What does the word say? Somebody have a Bible? You can yell out what that word says. The entire world lies in what? The power of the exousia, the authority, the ability of evil. And the evil is a personification of a being. And so it's often translated the evil one or the devil. I want us to remember this verse. This should be a capstone verse for your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. You should be aware of this, that the entire world, that means this, that every aspect of your life and my life is lived within the atmosphere, the context, within the realm of the place and the power of the evil one. There's not a place we can go on this earth that we can escape the ability of Satan. There's not a moment we live that we can escape the ability or the opportunity or the temptation or the influence or the manipulation or the deception of Satan. Even as a believer, we are all subject to being duped, deceived, lured by his power. I want you to see that. We live in a dangerous spiritual world. You say, well, that's kind of far-fetched. 
go to God and complain to him about it. I didn't make this up. It's just the Holy Spirit told you that. This is the word of the almighty God himself. And it's God the Father saying, I'm telling you, my children, the entire world in which you live is controlled by, empowered by Satan. Jesus has come. Remember 1 John 3, 8. I'll give you that one as a free one. That's not in my notes. 1 John 3, 8. It's another wonderful verse. Because if I only had 1 John 5, 19, I'd be really afraid. But 1 John 3, 8 says, But Jesus, the Son of God, rather, has appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy, destroy the works of the power of the devil. And in Christ, that has happened. But we are still susceptible. Because we still live in a world enchanted. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. You may want to turn to these verses. Ephesians chapter 2. What is the extent? What is the extent of 1 John 5.19? To what extent? Listen to what the same God says to us through the Apostle Paul In Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses, he says this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking to the church, the redeemed. You used to follow the, look at it, the course of this world. The trends, the ways, the excitement, what the world says is important. And how we should live and where we should go and how we should be, you know, following. We were following the prince of the power of the air. 1 John five nineteen. The spirit, that spiritual influence that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, all of humanity, the unsaved and even in the saved, if we're not careful. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were doing what we wanted to do. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This prince, the Greek word is archon, A R C H O N. It means ruler. It means ruler. Jesus actually calls Satan the prince, the ruler, in three different occasions. John 12, 31, John 14, 30, and John 16, 11. So Jesus acknowledges and is well aware of this sinister being and his influence throughout the world And in every living human being. You see, we're not living soberly enough and we're not living discerning enough. What does 1 Peter 5, there it goes, the mind goes, 5, 18 or 19. Be sober, help me someone, 5, Bertus, where are you? Bertus not in here? What is it, 5A? Be sober-minded. There it goes. I just clicked off. Be sober-minded. Be aware. Be careful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls about 
sneaks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Catch in his grip. And how does he do it? Lies, deception, enchantment. You see in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the Apostle Paul calls this evil one the God of this world. And then here's a very startling verse, especially for those who believe that we have the ability to make decisions before we were, before we were saved, decisions to sin or not to sin or whatever. 2 Corinthians 2.26, Paul is saying that Satan has the ability to make us, before we're in Christ, to do his will. We have been captured by Satan to do his will. So for the unbeliever, there is no choice but to do God's will. And before we were saved, we had no choice but to do Satan's will until Jesus broke that in the cross and applied that breaking victory in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Now we have as believers the ability to obey God or the ability to disobey God. But before we were born again, we had no ability. Why? The Bible clearly says Satan captured our wills to do his bidding. It didn't say it just had a few levels of control. We were captured. Now, let's make sure we get that straight. Now, let's see what happens. What is the means of this enchantment? How does Satan rule this world? He rules it through deception, causing the world to believe a lie or the lie rather than the truth, thus placing everyone under his enchanting power. He has caused everyone to believe that the lie, rather than the truth, is where the real reality is and the fun is and the lights are. These are the dazzling, wonderful things. He's done that. Every one of us is susceptible to this. He's exchanged the truth for a lie. He's given humanity the opportunity to look away from the truth and see something about personal benefit apart from the truth, something about personal pleasure and pursuit apart from the truth, something for me or about me apart from the truth. When did this happen? Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Yes. Yes, we always have to know the first three chapters of Genesis. I say it like this. How many of you know that a three-legged stool will always find the level? You know what I'm talking about? And so, it's that three-legged stool that is most important. The most significant chapters in the Bible upon which the entire revelation and work of God is given to us 
those, that entire Bible rests on the three chapters of Genesis. And you must be thoroughly as best we can by God's spirit aware of and knowledgeable of and believing and receiving of what God tells us about himself and about us in these first three chapters. Ignorance of these three chapters will cause and allow the enemy to have a much greater ability in your life and in my life. So I want to encourage you, bear down on the first three chapters so that you'll know really what's going on. Well, what happened? You remember in chapter 1, the Lord has created Adam and Eve in his image. In other words, these two and the rest of humanity that came forth out of Adam and Eve were to obey God. And as in, in the, uh, by doing that, they were to be images of this great creator God in all the areas of their life. God was to be the very center and fulcrum of all their pursuit and pleasure. But then comes to chapter 3. In turn to chapter 3. And let's look at it a little closely, more closely than perhaps we have in the past. Now the serpent was more crafty. Uh, Could we stop there a moment? What does that mean? Was more what? Subtle. Was more cunning. Do you see it already? Do you hear enchantment already in these words? Do we see that? For the first time, this understanding, this thought, this concept, this reality of enchantment is entering the word of God. So the serpent is more crafty than all the other beasts that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God actually say, or King James, I like it, hath God said, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Now, if you have your Bible and a pen, underline the word any tree. This is a textbook. If I were teaching English today as I used to, and I said this definition of a dangling participle an elliptical clause or whatever is going to be on the final exam. You'd be underlining it, what do you call it, uh, this mark slotting it and doing all that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's important. I want you to see something right in the beginning. Because what we have here in this question and in this statement is the very heart of how Satan deceives Hath God said that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Okay, so what? Hmm. And the woman said to the serpent, we may not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Underline that. It's already a misstatement. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Underline it, touch it. And underline lest you die. Underline that. 
because she has misstated the truth three different times. And listen, I can just imagine Satan throwing out his hook. And with this answer, all of a sudden, comes upon his face a maniacal smile. Yes. 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 Do you smell it? Yes. It's, it's just a little bit of a difference. Just a little change. Yes. And you can just see him, that maniacal smile. Yes. Yes. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. There's a flat out lie. He's now, he's now able to lie to her because she has already begun to go with his alteration of the word of God. She's already man, been maneuvered by listening to the alteration and not correcting it, but then responding to it with her own alteration. And she's being moved to receive a lie which she's going to do. Do you see the process? Are you with me on this? Is this clear enough? And Satan said, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Look at the benefits. Look what you can have. Look what you're missing. Look what's important in life. Come on. Come on. Don't you believe it'd be okay if we do these things when I know the Lord, whatever. But, you know, these things are so important. I'm involved in this. I'm, I'm up to this. And we begin to move. And Satan is there with that maniacal grin. Come on. Drooling. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come a little closer. Come on. What's the result? Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. The woman now begins to look away from the truth and the authority of God and begins to see something that she thinks and has been duped and deceived into thinking is good and desirable and meaningful and significant and pleasurable, etc., etc., and begins to see that which has been prohibited in a totally personal way for herself. The tree is good for food. God certainly wouldn't deny you food, would he? It was a delight to the eyes. I mean, certainly, it's pretty and it would be okay. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And God certainly wants us all to be wise. So she took the fruit and ate it. And then those gave it to her husband who was where? Who, where's Adam? Where's Adam? 
right next to her. And the last three words, and he ate. As a result of that, the entire world was plunged into a universal enchantment under the ruling spell and controlling deception of this enemy of God. Therefore, 1 John 5.19 is a result of the end of verse 6 in chapter 3 of Genesis. You see, it's, come on, it's just a small change. But you see, Eve and Adam, a little more mystery about Adam, but, but the result of his decision was the same result. They were lured and deceived, if you would, tricked into seeing something for themselves, about themselves, that they could have, and it would be good for them and pleasing and enjoyable and make life just better. Apart from the will and word of God. And a shift occurs, a tectonic shift in the cosmos. And the entire world became the land of enchantment using Pastor Keith's terminology. Under the rule of Satan who now works his magic magic it sounds to be such an innocuous word come on peter come on magic it's an innocuous word it it, it can't mean what the bible says can it really can it really mean what god says it means i mean is god that unfamiliar with how much fun magic is And the entire world is plunged to believe and participate in the magic of Satan. I mean, isn't this extreme? You mean, Pastor, you actually believe that? Well, I believe what the Bible says. I just simply am a stupid, foolish ignorant, narrow-minded, uninformed man to believe, thus saith the Lord is true. So what is the purpose? What's Satan's purpose behind all of this? Why? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. I don't think you've had to do this much Bible thumping in a while, have you? I used to just read these scriptures to us, but the Holy Spirit corrected me. He said, no, they need to turn in their Bibles to these scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4.4. What is the result? What is the purpose, rather? Why is Satan doing this? What is up his sleeve? Now, when we read 2 Corinthians 4.4, let's read it within the context of Genesis 1.26. 
There's another Bible verse. What in the world? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In other words, God has created us to be his people who in any and every aspect of our lives continually, regularly, you know, whateverly manifest his nature and his character. That's God's purpose for you in life. Therefore, every decision, every thought, every word, every deed, every action should be as a result of and within the context of how does this promote and achieve God's purpose in creating me as his image bearer. Will this in any way affect detrimentally upon the character of God? That's our purpose. Keith, that's why you're here. That's why you're here, brother. Kirk, that's why you're here. He'll hear me in a few minutes. That's why we're here. Shane, that's why you're here. And so, what is Satan's purpose in enchanting us? 2 Corinthians 4, 4 would be a verse of scripture. What does it say? In whose case, or the God of this world has what? Look at that word. Has what? Blinded. Now, look. Underline it. It's going to be on the final exam. Oh, I got to underline it. Give me my moxology. I got something to write it down. Ooh. Underline it. The God of this world has done what? Blinded. What does blind mean? Can't see. Can't see it. It's right in front of you and you don't see it. It's right in front of you and you don't believe it. It's right in front of you and you don't agree with it. It's right in front of you and you don't like it. It's called, Renee, being what? Spiritually blind. Do you get that? In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. (gasps) Blinded at about what? That they may not see. That they may not see what? The beauty of what is available in the world. I'm not against the things in this world. We're talking about the ability of Satan to use the good things of this world against us. Come on, come on. Are you with me on this? In whose case the God of this world has blinded. Why are you spending so much time? It's an important verse. You should know it. Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of what? The glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image. Genesis one twenty six. Who is the image of God? Satan wants to blind us. He wants to cause the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. That shines in us and through us to be diminished by shining 
a beguiling light that in our minds is stronger to follow. And we will go after that light. In Romans chapter 1, you don't have to turn there. I just want to, you may want to reference this. In Romans chapter 1, we read, at least in this particular area of Scripture, the appalling result of enchantment. What happened when Adam ate? What is the result of the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving? Romans 1.23 Humanity has exchanged the glory of the immortal God for man, for images. In other words, things that we have said and created and ways that we have conjured up under his leadership to be more important. And it, or if not more important, we wouldn't say that, but at least sufficiently able to compete with the things of God. I believe not so much the church believes that these things are more important, but what we have done, we have given ourselves over way too much to a competition here so that when something of God in the church is announced, go to the men's retreat, come Thursday night, join this, Attend school of the word, have relationships, can begin to all of this. We believe, wait, there's something here that in some way prevents me that it is important. You see, it's important. You don't understand, brother. It's important. And I really have to do this. Why? Because I've given myself to this as something significant. And I certainly have to carry that out. And God will understand and it won't matter. And it does. Why? Because you see, we're giving in more and more. Rather than saying, brother, are you saying that if I miss church on Sunday morning, I'm damned? No, what I'm saying is this. If there's an opportunity to be here, we're to be here. But if something else comes in to say, don't be there, but be over here doing that, then what we should do is ask God. The crux of the matter is that we fall for enchanting delusions because so often we don't ask God. We just assume it's okay. We assume this is the right way to do. We assume it's a deception, don't you see? Our level of asking God specifically and hearing his answer within the context of what he says his will is in the word is too low in the church. And as a result of that, either ignorance of failure to or just outright, outright, outright rejection of asking. I don't want to ask because I don't want to not do that. I want to do that. Therefore, I'm not going to ask. I'm going to assume. It's enchantment. We're being deceived. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I, when I say this, I feel it in me. I feel it in me. Don't raise your hand, but do you feel this in you? It's not the way the Holy Spirit works, luring us. It's another spirit. Romans 1.25, humanity has exchanged the truth about God for a lie, which we've already shared. Romans 1.26, humanity has exchanged natural relations and affections and desires and activities for those that are contrary to even nature itself, and especially to the will of God. 
See, this is the ongoing result of Satan's enchantment. We have become enamored with ourselves and with what is good for us and what is pleasurable and however we discern. We define that word pleasure. We typically define it within the context of our own feelings and desires. That's how typically we define pleasure. If I like it, et cetera, et cetera. And when we do that, we have inverted the way God has called and commanded us to live in a face-to-face relationship with him rather than turning our backs from him and looking at our own self in the mirror and making decisions that way. And that's how too often I know I have done this. I still struggle with this. Humanity has become enamored with himself. We have become enamored with our own needs, with our own desires, with our own ambitions, all apart from God. Is it important for us to have desires? Yes. Is it important for us to have ambitions? Yes. Is it important for us to all of this? Yes. But within the context of looking into the face of God and receiving what he says and walking that way rather than turning away from him as Eve did and she looked over here and all of a sudden everything was different. It's enchantment. When you leave here today, let's be aware of the pervasive power, influence of being an enchant a people who are subject to being enchanted. We are not an enchanted people. We're the people of God, but we're still living in that land and we're still subject to that ability of Satan to capture our thoughts and imaginations in a way that will lure us from God. This is what's happening in the church today in an increased way. Not never before, but an increased way. You see, in these last days, hear what I just said, last days, this enchanting fog is increasing in its intensity and it is permeating even the house of God to a greater and greater way. It's coming in. And you know what? The church is now in danger of doing the same thing Eve did. We, look at the, we listen to the clarion call of the world and hear the sirens. That's those mystical beings who singing when Odysseus heard them. Had he not been tied to the post of the ship, he would have thrown himself into the water to follow that luring call and he would have been drowned. And we're hearing that from the world through technology, through the trends, through what is important, through entertainment, etc., etc., through sports. Oh, there he goes. See, he doesn't like sports. No. I wanted the saints to win as badly as anybody else. I'm sorry. What's her name? Boogie, what's her name? Hmm? Can't hear you. DeMarcus' cousin towards uh, Achilles. I'm sorry about that, right? In six seconds at the end of the game. And the, the uh, Pelicans may not have the same opportunity to, you know, go further. 
but I don't want it to become my life and my being and my satisfaction and my joy and in manipulating my feelings and emotions. But it all has that potential of luring us away from the things of God. You see, the result is we're in danger of doing what Eve did, exchanging the truth and the authority of God and his word and his way in preference for the world's ways. At the retreat, Keith started off Friday night giving us an overview presentation, and he said two things in that first sermon, authority and affection. And I do want to repeat one thing he said. He said in in Matthew 28, what, 18, Jesus says what? Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says what? All. How much? Jen, how much? All. How much? Okay. How much is, when God says all, what does he mean? All. You see, when your mama says, well, when you said I ate all my peas, you didn't mean that. (laughs) Right? I mean, you didn't mean that. Come on, Tony, you meant I ate some of them, or I even maybe ate one, and that's all I'm eating. That's all I ate whatever all authority is mine all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me his is the sole authoritative voice and will the church is to be following And so as we read in Romans 1.23, many of the people of God, many, many in the church, maybe all to some degree, are increasingly exchanging the glory of the immortal God for man-made stuff and ways and cultural activities. We're being lured away. Now, you, you may be sitting here this morning and you don't like this. You're uncomfortable. Well, thank God you are. Because perhaps that's the Holy Spirit beginning to unbolt you from too much enchantment in your life as I need him to do in my life. So what is the result of this exchange? As a result, our fellowship is being redefined. Our fellowship is being redefined. We see a diminution, a diminishing in the fellowshipping of the church, which is extremely detrimental. Why is this a problem? You see, because God exists as one being of three equal, divine, distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three have eternally and will eternally fellowship among themselves and the fellowship which exists in the church is to be imaging that fellowship and when the fellowship that we have in the church by the holy spirit to be imaging god begins to be attacked or diminished or changed for whatever reason but the trends of the world are saying not this way anymore we begin to create a different revelation of god That's why Satan wants to do it this way. Don't you see? Marriage is being redefined. Why? Why is marriage being redefined? It has everything to do with Satan's desire to weaken and even if he can destroy the fabric of God 
through the church. And so, alarmingly, what is happening in the church today, among saved people, because we realize that everybody in the church is not a believer. Wheat and tares, sheep and goats, remember? Alarmingly, and given 20 years, if this continues, the attitude and the belief system of more and more in the church will be to acceptance of same-sex marriage. Because you see, the world has said this is a better way. And you may already have begun to see it among those whom you know in your own family and already have begun to feel it within yourself. Well, is it that bad? Give it a few years. Satan is enchanting the, us. <clears throat> he doesn't give a good poop about the world. He is doing this in order to enchant the people of God. He already has the unbelievers. Who cares about them? But what is happening is he's doing this to enchant and lure us away from the path of God. What is the result of this exchange? The significance of the individual Apart from the corporate is being emphasized, my rights, my ways, what I want, whatever. It's the corporate setting which is important to God because of individuals coming together in their corporate sense. Why? Because God is a corporate being within himself. The community of the church is to be imaging the community of God himself. This is why it is what it is and why Satan is attacking it through the trending and the difference, the, 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 the manipulation of the world system. We need to be aware of this. The need to regularly assemble together. May I just say this? Other than the men, I think, how many men do we have at the retreat? 75 from us? From this church? 80? Not that many? Okay, let's say 80. (laughs) Can't pin this guy down, you know? Can't pin him down. He's slick. Well, thank you, Eric. What was I saying? Look, let me say this. Thank you, Jesus, for every one of you who are here. Thank you, Jesus, for every one of you who make assembling on Sundays the priority. But this church, this building, should be filled to overflowing every Sunday morning. And if we said... A billionaire has given us the ability to give $10,000 to everyone who associates with Lakeview Christian Center on the 18th. You would have a line out there down the street. Why? Because you see, we believe too much that the stuff of of this world is more important than just getting together like this. It is an idolatry, an enchantment, which dishonors and even disfigures the face of Jesus among us. If it is your regular practice to just occasionally be here or be here when it's better for you and easier, you're under a spell. 
and in danger of being damaged. I need to move along because I want to finish this before the end of the day. You see, she, we have become more like Eve when she looked away from God and began to see the tree within the context of her own personal benefits. Now, here's the great danger. Look at 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3. And I'll try to move along to finish. 2 Corinthians 23, uh, 11.3. I want you to know this verse. I want you to make sure you have it. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Please, everybody, if you have a Bible, open to that. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul is writing and he's expressing a great fear. He's afraid for something in the church. Listen to what his fear is. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts, your desires, your ways, your attitudes, your belief systems, etc., your thoughts will be led astray for what? From a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's what it's all about. We are being lured in these things away from Christ. You may say, well, I think it's okay if I do this. I know this, whatever it is. I can't do that because of this. There was a man in a Bible study years ago. And I asked him, I said, why aren't you coming back? He says, because my job has changed and I'm now having to work at 5 o'clock in the evening to whatever, midnight or whatever, and I can't come anymore. Bible studies at 7 o'clock, don't you see? Well, how many of us would say, oh, okay, oh, okay, I got it. I understand that. Okay, okay. Don't ever do that. Never give in to what God calls us to do. Never. I said, did you ask God? intervene well no I just assumed my job was I need a job I said Scott I'm not telling you forsake your job but ask God what is a week or two later he comes into the Bible class with his work clothes on I said what happened he says my socks fell down he says I did what you said I went to the boss and I said, could I take my, quote, lunch break, which maybe is 9 o'clock at night, two hours or whatever earlier to go to church? The boss said, sure. Yes. The result of that was that about several months later, the boss changed his job. He got a better job. Ask God. Summary. God has created us. To be his people whose significance is found in his significance. Did you just hear what I said? Our significance is to be defined by his significance. Our pursuits are to be found in his purposes. Our lifestyle is to be defined by his life. Our relationships are more are to be determined by his relationship with us. You see how we have it backward. We're being lured and tempted to be backward about this. Our decisions are to be in keeping with his will. Our love is to be reflective of his kind of love. 
So the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, you can read this, 3, 1 through 7 says, let me warn you, in the last days, in the latter days, a deception is coming and love of self will increase. Selfies, self-motivation, self-actualization, right? Do you see it? It will increase, love of self. And he goes on to give a description of what that last age before the return of Christ would be like. But you see, Paul refused to give in to the enchantment of the age. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul refused. And here's what he said. I have fought the good fight. Fought against what? The enchantment of being enchanted. It's a fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And look what he says now. And this is one of the issues of today. The transcendent, the great eternal things are less important today in this world than the immediate. Henceforth, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. Will this be our testimony? A testimony of a people who have been redeemed out of the enchantment of this world to be a peculiar people. Or will we be a people stand before God who have been too polluted and manipulated and overcome by the spell of Satan? I believe what the Holy Spirit wants us to do this morning is to be better aware of what is behind the scenes and more seeking God in his word and in prayer. And if you're not sure about something, going somewhere, doing whatever, ask God. And he is faithful to give us his answer. Amen. Thank you.